Go ahead and turn to uh, 2 Chronicles 26. 2 Chronicles 26. We're going to be looking at King Uzziah tonight. And uh, there is an account of King Uzziah in uh, 2 Kings chapter 15. Uh, it's just not as long or as detailed as 2 Chronicles 26. So we're going to just confine our study uh, to, uh, to Chronicles this evening. Uh, just before the end of World War II, uh, FDR passed away from what was labeled a massive cerebral hemorrhage, which made Harry S. Truman the president of the United States. And Truman said that he felt as if a great weight had been dropped on him. And he therefore asked people to begin praying for him in earnest. And it is said that his old colleague Sam Rayburn tried to help him be humble when he said, They'll tell you what a great man you are, Harry, but you and I both know you ain't. <laughs> and it seems that these kings, they needed more Sam Rayburns in their lives, don't they? In our last study, we saw that King Amaziah was the ninth king over Judah, and he did right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. That's how he's described. He was lukewarm. He, he wasn't really committed to the Lord. He wanted to be successful as king, but not for the sake of the nation, not for the sake of the Lord's glory, but for the sake of his own pride, for the sake of his own esteem. He, he at times followed the word of the Lord, but he could only feign obedience for so long. You remember after numbering his army and, and after somewhat savagely defeating the Edomites, he took possession of the Edomite gods. He bowed down to them. He sought their help. He sought their continued favor. He later was rebuked by the Lord, um, but he rebuked the Lord. He, he rejected the Lord's correction and accountability. And in his pride, he goes on and he picks a fight with the northern kingdom. And by their hand, he was soundly defeated. He ultimately was captured. Men and women of Judah were taken as hostages. The walls of the city were greatly damaged. The temple and the palace were plundered. Something about positions of power... And authority can, can feed a person's sense of significance so much that they forget who they are. Power can diminish self-awareness and prudence. Power can even make rulers or, or CEOs or even pastors seem as if they're untouchable. Amaziah's son was then appointed to Judah's throne at age 16. His dad was a prisoner to the north, so they were technically co-regents for six years before Uzziah was given the full reigns. Let's read the first five verses together. Well, I'm not going to read the whole chapter uh, in one chunk. We're just going to kind of move through it uh, in, in uh, oh, sections, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. Somehow I'm not on the page I need to be. Here we go. Uh, first five verses. This is sort of the introduction to Uzziah's life. 2 Chronicles 26, beginning in verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, or appointed Uzziah, or sort of voted him in, I guess, who was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers, so after Amaziah had died. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, Incidentally, we don't know anything about her other than that right there. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. 
He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Quick point of clarity, Uzziah's name means Yahweh is strong. Yahweh is strong. But he is also referred to as Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. So the way his two names are interchangeably used it's something to be mindful of as we move through this story together. And if you cross-reference Uzziah's life with the account in 2 Kings 15, he is introduced there as Azariah, not as Uzziah. So it's not a different king, the same guy. But coincidentally, the high priest at the time, uh, who we're going to read about later, his name was also Azariah, which is why I'll only refer to Uzziah as Uzziah. I just want to minimize uh, the, com- the, the confusion as best I can. And it's interesting, as, as we look at Uzziah's life as king, he had this very impressive reign. He, he was an effective leader, he was a prodigious manager, a, a very wise ruler, and he seems to be the king that's going to put an end to this string of rotten rulers that had flowed from Jehoshaphat's foolish alliance with Ahab. Remember, he, he arranges this marriage um, uh, Jehoshaphat does with, with, with his son and, and one of Ahab and Jezebel's daughters. And the carnage and, and, the, and the collateral damage from that extends just through generations. But, but here, Uzziah seems to be the king that will fully live up to this line of Judah that, that, that holds on to so many of the Lord's promises. But it's all contingent on one very clear factor. It's verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord... God made him prosper. Prosperity completely hinged on his devotion to the Lord, on his seeking after the Lord. Problem is, prosperity is a greater test of faith than suffering. I'll say that again. Prosperity is often a greater test of faith than suffering. I read a quote just this afternoon. Prosperity must be treated as a trial. And no doubt your own life has proven this. When times are difficult, you're, you're seeking the Lord's help. You, you don't have anything to trust in besides the Lord. So you're, you're looking to him and you're praying to him and you're thanking him. But when the easy times come, when the good times come, and success enters in, and it may be success that's derived from your own diligence and hard work, in those seasons our true character is often revealed. We often stop remembering the Lord and all his benefits, as Psalm 103 tells us. We rest in the success and not in the Lord who has, who has blessed us with, with the good provision. It's interesting, almost universally, I've seen something in the lives of people. When, when people, be it couples who have been married for, for, for 30 years or 40 years or 60 years, when they reminisce, they often reminisce to these times when they had nothing. You know, when they, when they didn't have any money and they had to, you know, scrape together pennies to, to pay their bills or to, to go out to eat. And they, they reminisce about the house that they lived in and how it could barely accommodate their family or its appliances were always busted. They're always reminiscing about these times when, when things were obviously not maybe as successful, not as easy. But they look back at these times with such great fondness, simpler times, times when I think that they were maybe trusting in the Lord more than when they were in times of plenty. Have you ever noticed that? It's a pretty true phenomenon. 
But just as a way to kind of close out this introduction, um, Uzziah, in, 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 in his prosperity, he had, we'll see, he would go on to forget the Lord. So we're, tonight we're going to look at Uzziah's accomplishments, then his arrogance, and then his affliction. All right, let's start here uh, in verse, we're, we're going to actually reread verse 5 in just a minute. Um, it's clearly seen, his prosperity is, in verses 5 through 15. Let's go back here to the, to the text. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. How did God make him prosper? Well, let's look at verse 6. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the, the Arabians who lived in, in Gerbal and against the, the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers in their muster made by uh, Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hanina. Excuse me, Hanina. That's a, that's a tricky one. One of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers, houses of mighty men of valor, was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army's shields and spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made engines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Verse 5 mentions a, a spiritual mentor named Zechariah. Now, the name is repeated in 2 Chronicles really throughout successive generations. First was, was the priest Jehoiada's son, the, the one who was killed by Joash for speaking out. His name, if you remember, was Zechariah. It's a different Zechariah than this one, but listen to that former Zechariah's rebuke of Joash. This is re the rebuke that got him killed. He says this to the people of Judah in chapter 24. He says, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? That, that previous Zechariah, that's his refrain. That's his message to Judah. So this Zechariah that I just read about here, no doubt, in verse 5, he consulted Uzziah in that same truth. Follow the Lord and you will prosper. Don't follow the prosperity that's the message of, of, of health and wealth and prosperity teachers today. They follow the prosperity. God's just a means to an end to them. No, you seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. He's going to prosper you. So let's look in greater detail at the, at the categories of this prosperity. First, we'll observe Uzziah's department of state. He took back land from the Philistines. So, so he takes Philistine cities and strongholds that, that hadn't been under Jerusalem's control since the, since the time of King David. But, but you'll notice his campaign wasn't just to conquer. 
He would rebuild cities in these foreign territories. Today we might call this nation building. He, he, he didn't want to defeat other nations or, or destroy cities and armies like his father Amaziah had done. He, he wanted these areas under his diplomatic control. He's not a tyrant. This isn't a sort of scorched earth approach to conquest. That wasn't his method of operation. Why? Look at verse 8. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah. How do you keep Uzziah from coming in and taking over? You pay him. His reputation was such that he didn't always need to fight and conquer. It would result then in the paying of tribute to Judah just because of his reputation. There's a detail that I passed over a few minutes ago up in verse 2. It says that he built uh, Eloth and restored it to Judah. Eloth was a port on the northeast end of the Red Sea. And this gave Israel access to to the trade in in the waters that we refer to as the Red Sea, but also the Arabian Sea and and the Indian Ocean. This is an economically very, very significant move to take hold of, of Eloth. It's also significant because Eloth had not been under Judah's control since the time of Solomon. So so the Philistines had not been subdued and under the control of Judah since the time of David. And I think the the writer of Chronicles wants us to see these details. He wants us to, to see the extent of Uzziah's and therefore Judah's prosperity because of Uzziah's heart to seek the Lord. Things are being returned to the glories of David in the glories of Solomon. They have the area of Philistine. They have, uh, yeah, they have the area of the Philistines. They have Eloth. His fame is spreading. So not only geopolitically, but Uzziah's Department of Interior was quite impressive. It says that he fortified Jerusalem with, with towers for defense. In the city and also in the rural areas, he, he cut out cisterns. Cisterns were the modern equivalent of, of, of water towers. It's just strategic water supplies dug into the rock so the people and their, and their herds could have access to, to fresh water. These cisterns of Uzziah, some of them have been discovered and, and excavated in modern-day uh, Jerusalem. Very impressive effort uh, to, uh, to secure these cisterns. And then speaking of herds, the text describes those as as large, he had large herds, both in and around Jerusalem, as well as west toward the coast on these Judean plains that, that spread out toward the Mediterranean Sea. He also developed agriculture. Verse 10 says something unique about him. It says that he loved the soil. He loved to see the land tilled and farmed and, and, and bearing fruit. I found this, this quote by Benjamin Franklin. It seemed a good description of of King Uzziah. He says, this is Ben Franklin speaking, there seem to be but three ways for a nation to acquire wealth. The first is by war, as the Romans did, in plundering their conquered neighbors. This is robbery. The second by commerce, which is generally cheating. (laughs) The third by agriculture, the only honest way wherein man receives a real increase of the seed thrown into the ground in a kind of continual miracle wrought by the hand of God in his favor as a reward for his innocent life and his virtuous industry. It's a good quote. That's King Uzziah's passion, 
not just gardening, but, but large-scale farming, agriculture, the cultivation of the land, vines, and those appointed to tend the vines and to, to reap the harvest. And so prosperity is not just geopolitical to Uzziah. Sure, he was successful in conquest and expanding the kingdom's border, but that's just a, just a small part of Uzziah's prosperity. It involved a, a fortified infrastructure, these, these fortifications, these built-up walls, these guard towers, cisterns, developed farmland. It involved rich agriculture, horticulture. But there was another facet to this prosperity. His Department of Defense is also impressive. He developed the army numerically. You know, it's, it's fresh off the, the army of Judah. It's fresh off a defeat by the north. Yeah, it went down and, and, and did good work toward the Edomites, but it attacked the north and got soundly defeated itself. That was the defeat that got Amaziah, Uzziah's father, captured. But, but Uzziah has now reassembled it, and, and he went beyond just finding those soldiers who were willing and available. The text says that he had them trained and prepared for war. He, he made them ready so that they were fit for war. That's how the text actually says it. So this is beyond a, a volunteer militia. These aren't the Minutemen of colonial America. These are Marines. These are Rangers. These are Green Berets. These are trained soldiers fit for war. He also did something that we haven't yet seen a king do with his army. He supplied them with weapons and with armor. So this is a, a fully outfitted infantry. They didn't have to arm themselves. Uzziah armed them with weapons and helmets and shields and, and mail. He also had ancient defense contractors, the McDonnell Douglases of Northrop Grumman's. I don't know. But they built these war machines. It says these, these engines invented by skillful men, devices that he could have placed atop his fortified defenses, and they would shoot these large spears and arrows and great stones at the enemy, some kind of catapult system or trebuchet. I don't know exactly. So this prosperity of Uzziah's had a technological angle to it. One commentator I read said, this is the very imitation, excuse me, this is the very first imitation on record of any warlike engines for the attack or defense of besieged places, and this account is long prior to anything of the kind among either the Greeks or the Romans. The commentator says, the Jews alone were the inventors of such engines, and the invention took place in the reign of Uzziah, about 800 years before the Christian era. It is no wonder that in the consequence of this, his name spread far abroad and struck terror into his enemies. So he's famous. He's famous. He's developed this incredible army with these incredible tools for war. And there's a detail, though, I want you to see in this section of verses. Verse 7 says of Uzziah that God helped him. This is a special word in Chronicles whose meaning is actually equivalent to the New Testament uh, language where it talks about the enabling work of the Holy Spirit, the helper who would come. God helped Uzziah. And in verse 8 it says of Uzziah, for he became very strong. And then verse 15 says, And he was marvelously helped till he was strong, 
And I'm sure you've had those times that you felt marvelously helped by the Lord. Those times when the provision and the direction and the, and the sense of purpose in your life, it, it just seemed God-supplied. But remember the meaning of his names that I shared with you at the start. Uzziah means Yahweh is strong. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. So we have a refrain of the meaning of those names being woven into the telling of his story. I don't think that's accidental. The Lord helped this king. It was undeniable as to where the help had come from. The help was not unlike the work of the helper, the work of the Holy Spirit. But the result, the result was not a greater recognition by Uzziah that the Lord was strong. As his very name suggested, Uzziah's prevailing thought was that he was strong, that he had become strong. His prosperity did not result in humility and gratitude and, and continued pursuit of the Lord who had given him prosperity. It resulted in, in pride. Which brings us to the next point in your notes, Uzziah's arrogance. We'll read the next four verses starting in verse 16. <clears throat> verse 16 starts with the conjunction, but, which usually directs us toward something negative. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. But when he was strong, he grew proud. There's that subject again. So for the third time in 10 days, I'm addressing the subject of pride. And here, Proverbs 16, 18 is going to prove very true. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. But before we look at that destruction that I just read that comes with pride, it can be said, it can be said that there are some positives that flow from the ambition that pride has a way of fueling. With ambition, a man can accomplish great things. This is true of, of Uzziah. So, so he's taken Judah's strength and, and prosperity to soaring heights. He has ruled very, very well, very wisely, very strategically. There's not a hint of idolatry recorded in, in his rule. That they're trading, Judah is, on the open seas. That they're ruling over Philistine lands. They're, they are fortified and strong and at home. Their land is rich and, and fruitful, great with livestock. The turnaround he has achieved, it was granted by the Lord, but it was a result of Uzziah seeking him as Zechariah had taught. But the Lord uses means, and it was no doubt the ambition that comes with wanting to accomplish great things that helped accomplish all these great things. 
But when you set out to accomplish great things and you feel as if you have accomplished them and not the Lord's good hand of blessing, you can get the sense that maybe you can do anything. And, and you get the sense that, that your reach and your power and your authority is, is endless in nature. And so that's where Uzziah shows himself to be presumptuous. His presumption is that his sovereign rule, it extends into the temple. He probably thought, I don't need priests to worship the Lord. I'm in charge. They can't tell me what to do. And besides, things are going so well. If they even tried to stop me, the people would support me, not them. I'm the one that, that is mission critical, not these guys who manage our, our worship exercises. I could just as easily be one of those guys. That's the thought that Uzziah is having. So he's reformed so many things in Israel, he's about to try and reform worship. Problem is, God has mandated how the worship is supposed to look. But he grabbed the senses, which holds the incense that was to be used at the, t at the temple's altar of incense. And he stepped into a place that he had not the right to be, the holy place of the Lord. So, so blinded by pride, Uzziah loses all restraint. And I don't know if you remember, but who in Israel's history has made this very similar mistake? Look at 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 6. Or excuse me, I'm going to start in verse 8. The Israelites are, are, are waiting at Gilgal, where the tabernacle is set up. He waited seven days. The time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul, this is King Saul, said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him, and Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at, 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 Mish, at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So if, you, if you would have obeyed, you would have prospered. <laughs> but now, verse 14, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you to do. So this mistake that Uzziah is making is the famed mistake of King Saul. And so what I think the writer is doing in this chapter is showing us that Uzziah had the success of David in conquering the Philistines, something no other king since David had done. He had the success of Solomon in establishing the port at Eloth and, and having his fame spread far and wide, unlike any other king since then. But in his heart, because he thought he was, was, was strong, because he thought the blessing of the Lord didn't come outside of him, but became you know, because of his own strength, Uzziah is really just another Saul. 
He presumptuously thought that he could serve in the role as high priest when God had made it very clear how his temple and how his priesthood would work, how worship was supposed to go. His attempt to change the God-prescribed forms of worship was completely off track. It would ultimately fail. So the nation had kings. It even had prophetic kings at times. But the prophet, king, priest... That was to be reserved for the true king of Israel, and that is not Uzziah. And so he's confronted. Eighty priests, along with the high priest, they confront King Uzziah. And I have to think that if it was just one priest, if it was just Azariah, the high priest, I think Uzziah would have forced his will. But here we have eighty and if Uzziah tries to take out the eighty, will, will there be even any priests left to do the work of the temple? Maybe not. So caught in his pride, he grows enraged. The king is, is furious, like, like a toddler who has refused a french fry. He just throws a fit. Throws a furious fit. And at this, as this rage ensues, something disastrous occurs. Again, I read this a moment ago. I'll read it again. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to him uh, to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Again, if, if Uzziah had not been strong in himself, but considering, sincerely considering the ways of the Lord, he would have remembered that the priestly work it did not belong to him. If you remember a story in Leviticus, not even the sons of Aaron could offer incense when Aaron was high priest. I'm just going to read this couple of verses from Leviticus 9. You got the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. The sons of Aaron, they each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Verse 2 of, of Leviticus 9. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So this is not an obscure part of the Old Testament story. Uzziah knew this part of the scriptures. Then there's Numbers 16. I don't know if you know Numbers chapter 16. When, when Korah, Korah tries to usurp Aaron as priest, and so Moses leaves it to God to decide who should be the one who offers sacrifices, and at the Lord's determination... It is Aaron and not Korah. Korah is expelled from the tent of meeting. He's sent back to his camp. And then the earth swallows up Korah and his family. It's one of the most bizarre stories in the Old Testament. It's crazy. And no doubt Uzziah knew that portion of the scriptures. And I suppose Uzziah can be commended for the fact that, that he never flirted with idolatry. But the history of his people should have reminded him that you don't mess with the work of the priesthood. 
catastrophic things happen when you do. Speaking of catastrophic, there's a bit of history that, that should be inserted here. Uh, the, the Jewish historian, not inserted in Scripture, but inserted in this talk. I don't want to presume that I know what needs to be added to Scripture. But Josephus, he was a Jewish historian. And in his Antiquities of the Jews, listen to what he writes about King Uzziah. This is an interesting detail. He says, when a, when a remarkable day was come and a general festival was to be celebrated, he put on the holy garment. This is King Uzziah. Uzziah put on the holy garment, according to Josephus. And went into the temple to offer incense to God upon the golden altar, which he was prohibited to, to do by Azariah the high priest, who had fourscore priests with him, and who told him that it was not lawful for him to offer sacrifice, and that none besides the posterity of Aaron were permitted so to do. That pretty much squares with our text here. And when they cried out that he must go out of the temple and not transgress against God, he was wrought at them, angry. He was angry at them, and threatened to kill them unless they would hold their peace. Here's where it gets interesting. In the meantime, a great earthquake shook the ground, and a rent was made in the temple, and the bright rays of the sun shone through it and fell upon the king's face, insomuch that the leprosy seized upon him immediately, and before the city at a place called Eroge, half the mountain broke off from the rest on the west and rolled itself four furlongs and stood still at the east mountain till the roads as well as the king's gardens were spoiled by the obstruction. So for some reason, the chronicler, he does not, he does not make record of this earthquake. However, 200 years later, Zechariah the prophet, he would write of a devastating earthquake that, that's going to happen in the last days. But he says in Zechariah 14.5, you will flee in these days ahead, in this future time, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. The prophet Amos also mentions Uzziah's earthquake. And, and so maybe the chronicler, the, the, the writer, the chronicler, Maybe he thought that it was just such a huge and unforgettable event that he didn't need to mention it. You know, who wouldn't know about the earthquake that had to do with King Uzziah? But apparently it, 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 it didn't get recorded. But at this sinful action and anger of Uzziah, there was, there was apparently this, this massive earthquake to signify that this affliction, this affliction of, le, of, of leprosy, this is judgment from the Lord. And so he's disqualified from leadership, and he knows it. He's escorted out of the temple. He's placed in a kind of confinement away from the temple, away from his normally king, normal kingly accommodations, away from his family, and his son Jotham would be king as co-regent with, with Uzziah. We'll read through verses 20, uh, 19 through 23 here. Or excuse me, just 20 to 23. I think I put 28 in your notes accidentally, so I'm sorry for that typo. There is no Second Chronicles uh, 26, 28, stops in verse 23. So we'll just close out the, uh, the chapter here, verses 22 and 23. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, wrote, And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers, fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper. And Jotham his son reigned in his place. So Uzziah, who was once known for his great accomplishments, 
you know, a, a king with widespread fame and esteem. Now he was to be a leper until the day of his death. He was never healed, which I take to believe he never repented. I don't know if you remember when God gave Miriam leprosy for questioning the authority of Moses. God gave her leprosy, but then he healed her at her repentance. Had Uzziah repented, he could, he could have been restored, but his epitaph read, in a grave where the kings were laid to rest, it read, he is a leper. Greatest king since Solomon, he's a leper. Ruled like his father David, he's a leper. This is how God deals with pride. Chuck Swindoll shares a great story from his personal life. He says, in 1958, I had just enough exposure to see why leprosy caused such fear in the ancient world. While I was a Marine stationed in Okinawa, I had the privilege of playing in the 3rd Marine Division Band. On one occasion, we were invited to play a concert for a leper colony in the northern part of the island. We played a number of selections using various ensembles, giving our very best performance for those dear, wonderful, albeit forgotten people. While we felt sure they enjoyed the music, we heard only muted applause. When we finished the concert, the victims of this awful disease did their best to clap for us, but they did so with disfigured hands and arms, many having only stubs because of the necessary amputations. After we packed our instruments, we did our best to mingle with them and say a few kind words before leaving, but that proved awkward. They hid their disfigured faces with their mutilated hands and arms, moving away from us because they felt ashamed of the unclean disease that made them so undesirable. Here's the kicker. I noticed the absence of one quality more than any other, pride. There wasn't an ounce of it anywhere in that colony of broken souls. So the verse that I close with on, on, on Sunday, Luke 18, 14, it says that the Lord has, has come to humble the exalted and to exalt the humble. That's what's going on in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Interesting, Uzziah's son, Jotham, or Jotham, he's one of the rarities among the kings. There is nothing negative said about Jotham. So 130 years of kings up until he reigns, he's the one with the clean record. I wonder if, if watching his father and the way he went had an impact on his life. Somewhere to seven to nine years of, of, of co-regency before his death. Uh, occurred. And it was the, the year when Uzziah died that the prophet Isaiah wrote these, these words, of course, that you're familiar with. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew and called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah sees the Lord. Uzziah had been strong. Uzziah had been famous. Everyone had been relying on his wits and his skills and his strength as king. He was the one getting victory over the enemies, building strong defenses for them. But when, when Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. And I think this is key for us tonight as we close because 
because many of us, we're, we're, we're going through tough things or about to go through tough things. When our Uzziahs, our seeming strength, the strength in our life, maybe these things that we're trusting in, maybe they're going to go away. Those are things that are going are to let us down or, or, or fall from us, maybe even die. And when that happens, we think that, okay, it's all over. But the reminder tonight as we look and cross-reference with Isaiah 6 is that even when King Uzziah dies, this great king, God is on the throne. He's high and lifted up. He's the one being worshipped. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is in control. When things are shaking and quaking, the Lord is God. He's the helper. He's the strong one, not, not us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be done. Father, thank you for uh, this lesson in your word. Lord, again, a, a, a thought that we have to give to tonight concerning pride and humility and, 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 and thinking hard about where our strength comes from, where our blessing and provision and, and all these different things actually comes from. It comes from you. We're not strong in ourselves. We're incredibly weak. We're incredibly sinful. We're all very, very needy. And so tonight we look to you look to you to be our strength and you to be our help. And God, we need your grace then in not leaning on ourselves. We're not hoping or trusting in the blessings that you bring us, but looking to you and, and, and to you alone. We are indeed a blessed people and we cannot look past that. But God, continue to restrain our hearts so that, that we would look to, to you to be the strength of our hearts, to be our glory forever that we would not look past your benefits, but we would remember them each and every day. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Pray for our students and our children who are still meeting, that you'd bless them and their time in the word tonight also. In Christ's name, amen. All right. You're dismissed. Thanks for being here.